Welcome to Twitch the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. I'm John. And today we have a very special episode in store. I think I can speak for all of us when I say that kung fu and martial arts films just hold a very special place in all our hearts. Their subtle beauty, bravado, and explosive moments of over-the-top violence make them some of the most fun movies to watch with a crowd of friends. And nowhere is that more clear than in the absolutely incredible, game-changing films of Jimmy Wang Yu, which is why we had to talk about his 1976 masterpiece, Master of the Flying Guillotine. He comes from beyond time, from beyond the outer limits of your imagination. He's the master of the flying guillotine. And he's ready to blow your mind. With more nerve-shattering special effects than you have ever seen before. It's a trip into a world where warriors from the ends of the universe meet in combat that knows no boundaries. A world where silent soldiers of death try everything in their power to conquer the most gruesome weapon ever conceived. See special visual effects filmed entirely in Super Cinevision as the master of the flying guillotine encounters the most amazing creatures in this or any world. As he experiences the most spectacular adventures the mind can imagine. The master of the flying guillotine. One thing I absolutely love about kung fu flicks is just how accessible they are to people. Like, a lot of cult films are cult films because they're like so niche and so like kind of out there and weird that like you kind of got to have like some psycho switch flipped in your head to like really vibe with them but kung fu movies are just like you've run into people at work or school or the bar who when you get to like talking about kung fu like some like regular ass joe will like tell you his like story about how he first discovered some like crazy obscure like fight flick and and it seems like people have such a connection and they like revere these movies in similar ways that like Ben Mankiewicz would revere Strangers on a Train or Joe Bob Briggs would revere like Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers or something. Right. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, definitely me included, it was the first type of psychotronic cinema that you really had access to. I mean I remember watching these movies very badly dubbed on like local access channels like in place of Saturday morning cartoons by the time I was like seven or eight with my dad and they I think are like you said really accessible while also being just weird and crazy and psychotronic and taking place in this totally wild alternate universe. Yeah, totally. I'll never forget when my sister had this like cool leather jacket punk friend that would come over once in a while. And he like brought over this little stack of VHS tapes that were all uh, like Shaolin was in the title of half of them. And like Wu-Tang was in the title of a bunch of other ones. And when I saw Wu-Tang, I was like, oh, shit, is this like the Wu-Tang Clan? And I didn't realize that the Wu-Tang Clan were like named after all this shit. 
And like really, those guys were cultural ambassadors to these kind of movies, you know? I think 90% of like the kung fu nerds I talk to, that's where it all started for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I- I'm sure for most Americans of our generation, maybe even a few generations older, that was where you heard some of those samples and sound clips for the first time. And it was just like, this is so fucking cool. Like, where can I find more of this? Totally. I love that RZA has also, I mean, in addition to being a musical genius and like now a filmmaker in his own right, I love that he actually does lectures sometimes for kung fu movie screenings in the U.S. Oh, yeah. The the Hollywood Theater in Portland, they do uh, kung fu movies like every month, or at least they were doing that before the pandemic. And I remember I was lucky enough to see uh, Snake and Eagle Shadow there on on 35 millimeter. And there was like this like filmed introduction that he did like, hello, Hollywood Theater. Like, nice. I was like oh, this so is sick. sick. I saw a video of him, this is like a little way back, where he was being interviewed, and the interviewer gifted him with an original uh, Dirty Ho poster. Whoa. And he's like, oh, yes, here, the the interviewer's like, here's the poster for the greatest, you know, Shaw Brothers movie, and he's like, and and Riz is looking at it, and he's like, oh, thank you, thank you. By the way, the greatest Shaw Brothers movie is Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, but yeah, thank you, thank you. (laughs) I, it's surprising to me that someone actually thinks Dirty Ho is the greatest Shaw Brothers yeah. movie. It, it might have been a different one, but for some reason I'm remembering back as Dirty Ho. I mean, we have talked a lot about various, and I don't want to give any spoilers, but we've talked a lot about like various Shaw Brothers movies we might want to cover on here, and those episodes are definitely coming. But Kung Fu movies, I think that was one of the first subgenres we talked about when we knew we wanted to start a podcast it was like oh well obviously we have to talk about this yeah yeah so this episode has really been brewing for a while and when we were trying to figure out which one to watch because there's so many different types of kung fu movies like you got your classic like wuja flying through the air movies with lots of long you know, sweeping like takes and beards and stuff and not that (laughs) not that they don't have sweeping Beards, beards and long takes and eyebrows yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's some of that dna that carries over to to just regular punch kick kung fu yeah but like the the name that really like comes out when when you get down to it it's not fucking jackie chan it's not fucking bruce lee no it's jimmy wang you i mean we love jackie chan and bruce lee oh, yeah, we love fine. shaw brothers we love golden harvest but i think if you're going to talk about the person who made all of that possible, aside from maybe like, you know, Raymond Chow, <laughs> it's it's Jimmy Wang Yu because he was this big Shaw Brothers star for a relatively short period of time, maybe like two years before he made Chinese Boxer and just fucking changed the game and yeah. also got himself blacklisted from Hong Kong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, he got blacklisted for some other reasons, too. Which we'll talk about (laughs) more. Well, well, the main reason, in fairness, was he was working for Shaw Brothers. He was a megastar. One-Armed Swordsman was the first movie to make over a million dollars in their box office, and they were still paying him like shit. So, like... Which they definitely have a track record of doing. I think he just was one of the first people if not maybe actually the first person to say this is like fuck you pay me right. yeah 
And I do think we also have to give some credit to Chang Che, who directed One-Armed Swordsman, because that one-armed warrior role, and I'm going to talk about this more later once we kind of get into the plots of some of these, but Jimmy Wang, you made an entire career out of fighting with one arm, (laughs) and... Chang Che definitely kind of kicked that off in One Armed Swordsman, even though it is more of a straight Wuja movie. He also went on with like The Assassin and things like that to make some Shaw Brothers movies that had that like grittier, harder edge that Jimmy Wang Yu is so known for. Yeah. I mean, Wang Yu's fighting style is just like so different. <laughs> From the classically trained stars that came out of like the the Peking Opera School, you know, people like Jackie Chan or Sammo Hung. Wang Yu's style, I think, is like more in line with the late Japanese king Sonny Chiba. You know, he's like this fucking brutal street fighter who just smashes people's teeth out and crushes bones. You know, it's 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 something that it's out of place in a lot of other like previous to like the Chinese boxer type kung fu movies that were a little bit more meditative or, you know, were a little bit more of like the thinking man's kung fu, you know. Well, he or was a that bone were buster. based off of like the Huang Mei opera and they just oh, yeah. have that, like you were saying, with all of the sweeping, the sweeping shots and the sweeping robes and yeah. flying on strings and there's none of that. He yeah. just is like well, down and dirty. He cited Japanese swordplay movies as his biggest influence. Oh, in, in, you can in, see it, it. when it comes to the fighting, because he said it really felt like people fighting for sure. And I wonder if that's another reason why Wang Yu's films feel almost more accessible than a lot of other kung fu flicks. Oh, for sure. It's because like you don't need to have an understanding of Chinese history and like dynastic history and even like cultural things. To understand, you need to get fucking revenge for your fallen master, and you're gonna put your hands in your hand rather. <laughs> you're gonna put your hand in some like burning fucking ash to strengthen it up, so you can fire punch people in the face. Like that's really that crosses any cultural boundary, and it's just so instantly recognizable as just fucking being cool. Yeah, they're they're far more just like gritty exploitation movies. Yeah, I, I mean like uh, One Armed Swordsman and and a lot of the Shaw Brothers, I love them because they have that fairy tale aura to them. Oh yeah, but Jimmy Wang Yu was definitely like closer to like American Drive-In movies. Like you could see him making like the Hong Kong or the more the Taiwanese Walking Tall. As opposed to, (laughs) you know... Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Right, yeah. As opposed to, you know, another one-armed swordsman. Yeah, I I know, like, the the one-armed swordsman and the return of the one-armed swordsman probably played in some drive-ins, but it feels like movies like The Chinese Boxer and especially The One-Armed Boxer and its sequel, The Master of the Flying Guillotine, the movie that we're going to get into, those movies feel like grindhouse flicks like fucking dirty movie theater drive-in you know especially master of flying Guillotine. master of the flying like, yeah. it's on just that grindhouse level. and its dna and and played in the grindhouse and drive-in circuits for years oh i believe years it. i mean i think it's a beloved favorite for good reason and it definitely i think as much as i love a lot of wuja movies 
they do, as you were saying, sort of benefit from an understanding of the genre and they have all these connections to sort of fictionalized events in in like past past Chinese history and they borrow a lot from Chinese literature and they feel just so much more artsy so it's very hard for me to imagine even one-armed swordsman it's kind of hard for me to imagine that playing on 42nd street yeah right right (laughs) whereas master the flying guillotine it just like from the first five yeah. minutes of the movie, the way that it opens with the my fucking God. the introduction <laughs> of the master with the of the flying, what's the movie fucking called again? Master <laughs> of the flying yeah. guillotine. The, the guillotine. Way, compared how they pronounce it, <laughs> the way they introduce that character, just it, it's incredible. Like he's got his fucking crazy guillotine, guillotine. Which he practices with on some unsuspecting birds. Yeah, some very unfortunate <laughs> pigeons in right. the beginning you of the chickens. Guillotine on, who uses it on a chicken? You use the guillotine on fish. <laughs> <laughs> fish oh. breed with geese. Um, and then burns his own house down because he's so angry. And <laughs> like, just <yeah>. sworn. So <laughs> sworn to vengeance. I've seen this movie like a fucking million times, and I had never seen the first one in this until today when we watched the the one arm boxer. Was that what? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's we, dizzying. It's yeah. It's yeah. crazy that I've seen the sequel so many times, and like it feels like it's kind of a sequel. Like these people are already exist in some world. But it's you don't need to have seen the one arm boxer to fucking get the gist. I always because I see Master Flying Guillotine first, but I I, and yeah, I do too. enjoy one armed boxer, but I look at it as a full length prologue to Master Flying Guillotine. Yeah, if that makes sense. No, it does. And also, kind of like it definitely is part one, but it has a sort of different focus. It's like by the time he made master the flying guillotine he sort of chose what part of the story he wanted to emphasize from the first one because it's like you could have gone so many different directions because the the master is avenging the deaths of two tibetan monks who were you know his students right yeah, yes yes and, and very minor characters in the yeah, previous movie yeah which is why i guess i sort of meant like it's a variation like if i was going to make a sequel to one arm boxer this wouldn't necessarily have been like the characters that i wanted to focus yeah, on but it's so interesting that they are the characters that are focused on it's so like oh cool we're doing something so different this is like well here's the thing that wang you had a talent for it wasn't just uh acting and directing which he was great at both but he had an eye for catching trends he one-armed boxer he's like one-armed swordsman was a hit chinese boxer was a hit i'm gonna Combine do one-armed em. boxer <laughs> yeah before master flying guillotine shaw brothers came out with the flying guillotine yes that's 75 yep and that was a smash hit and before they could make their sequel he's like i'm gonna mix my one-armed dude with the flying guillotine yeah and, and came up with this and so, clean up and yeah clean up and he, and and he made so it before wild. their sequel came out so yeah. it was I want to I want to quick get into kind of the meat of the plot of, well, of the film. We should talk about just briefly what the actual plot of One Armed Boxer is. A lot of these movies, if you haven't seen them, often involve two rival kung fu schools 
who get into a fight. One of the schools, they're made up of a bunch of dirty scoundrels, often Japanese people thrown in there. And because, you know, a lot of these movies are very anti-Japanese and especially Jimmy Wang Yu, but not only. And so it's like the bad guys kill the protagonist's entire school or at least their master. And so they then have to get revenge. And so, of course, it's like his whole school is killed. His arm is cut off. And instead of, you know, giving up and accepting defeat, he trains so that he can then come back and murder them all. And that's sort of the plot in 30 seconds. Yeah. And, and also there's a Japanese vampire. Yeah. Yes. No, yes. The One-Armed <laughs> Boxer is a fantastic fucking movie. It's, it, it doesn't quite go as insanely off the rails as, as Master of the Flying Guillotine, but it, it has its moments that are just completely inspired and just wild. It's setting up the dominoes that Wang Yu is just going to yeah. throw off yeah. the fucking table in the next one. So... Yeah, like Sam was saying, two of the characters that were killed in the the one-armed boxer were these two Tibetan monks. And there's this whole array of which he builds on in the best way for Master of the Flying Guillotine. There's this whole array of martial arts masters from different countries in Asia who kind of band together in the first one. Yeah, and that thread does get picked up in the Master of the Flying Guillotine. But that's kind of like the B plot of the movie that merges with the A plot. The A plot is in in the beginning when the fucking master's throwing his fucking guillotine around, burning killing a bunch of chickens, down. burning his house down. <laughs> Has grenades? Uh, he's yeah. got grenades. It's, it's 1730. He's got grenades. Yeah. yeah he's, he's a fucking he's ahead he's of his time. Absolute yeah. G. But he gets a, a messenger. He gets a message from a pigeon. Engraved well, an engraved clay tablet because he's blind. <laughs> yeah. So he yeah he reads the the tablet and the tablet basically lets him know that like his two pupils were killed in the last movie, and so he goes on this fucking one man mission to kill every single one armed guy in China. You well, know. Well, because all the tablet says is they were killed by a one armed fighter. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, no, no, no. They they specify he just kills every one-armed guy because he's so pissed, yeah. right? But yeah. also, it's it's sort of like Terminator when the Terminator like gets rips the um the phone book the sheet. phone book, and he's like, I'm gonna kill every Sarah Connor until I get to the Sarah Honestly, Connor I want to kill. It's an effective method, it, you know. Yes, it's psychotic. Yeah. It, it, it's like when you're looking for a new job, you know. Right, yeah, you, you right. cast a wide net, <laughs> and uh, he casts a net. All right, he certainly does. And this guy's fucking net just lands on top of your head and rips it right off its fucking shoulders. He decapitates. I meant to actually try to count, but he decapitates so many people in this movie. Yeah, and and sometimes like... <laughs> and animals. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you watch one of these movies and a chicken comes by, you're like, oh, thank oh, God no. it's not a cat. You know, that's, that's what I think. Or a snake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, can we get that slide whistle? Oh. <laughs> So the fucking master, like one of the early scenes in the movie, and he's got the coolest fucking theme. When he walks into that bar in this early scene and some guy has one arm and he's eating food in this restaurant and he like realizes he doesn't have any money. So he like slips out of the restaurant and the restaurant, the restaurateur says, what are you doing? You got to pay your bill, buddy. And he gives him a whole song and dance routine about how he's like, do you know who I am? I'm the one-armed boxer. I'm the one-armed guy who killed seven people today. And the restaurateur knows who he is. He knows he's a fucking bum. 
but up in the rafters is the master of the fine guillotine. And he's overhearing all of this, and all he hears is this fucking braggadocious ding-dong shouting, because he's blind, shouting about how fucking tough and one-armed he is. And in a second, without fucking hesitation, this guy with the bushiest eyebrows you've ever seen in your life throws his killer basket on the dude's fucking head, and you just love to see it. You, it's... Like, no matter how many times I watch this movie, I never lose my just, like, absolute feeling of joy every time he uses that fucking... No, it's, <laughs> it's The whole movie to me is just bliss. It's yeah. like one of those movies that somehow they made it for me 10 years before I was born. Yeah. There's just like, we'll make this, we'll set it aside, he will find it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> There's truth in that. They could learn a lot. Well, all right. As long as we don't attract attention from any government officials. So then, keep out of any trouble there. Understand? Yeah! Also, something I didn't know until today uh, is the flying guillotine weapon is real and is based on a historical weapon from like the eight, early 1800s maybe even or even more like mid 1700s and John kindly looked it up and apparently there's a diagram but no existing yeah well, there weapon. are stories and crude drawings detailing its appearance but no clear instructions on its use or production are known to exist thanks to military <laughs> wiki yeah, you know what? That's like fucking. I feel like that's way cooler than Leonardo da Vinci's stupid fucking flying machine diagram. Yeah, what Who gives a shit about is that? that? Come for? on. I fucking. mean, Jimmy Wang, you can walk on the fucking ceiling in this movie. Oh my flying, god, flying. He's so got there it was covered. a MythBusters apparently about the flying guillotine. I never watched that show. I was aware of it. Well, that sounds sick. Yeah, that they sounds did. awesome. But cool. what you were just saying, Sam, about how he how Jimmy Wang Yu's got these crazy <laughs> fucking powers in this movie, and it's like it's a testament to just how fucking cool the master of the flying guillotine is as a character when he's just he's surrounded by hundred or like dozens of other characters that are all so cool in their own right. And Jimmy Wang used fucking walking on water, Jesus, like walking on the walls like Spider Man. He's it's it's crazy. Do you want to sidetrack and talk about how cool Jimmy Wang Yu is before we get yeah, deeper into I, the movie? Of course I want to fucking talk about how cool uh, he is. I yes. I'm a massive Jimmy Wang Yu fan. Like, arguably my favorite martial arts personality. Arguably. I mean, I... Whoa. I Don't yeah. worry. We're not going to argue with Whoa. you, Johnny. No. I mean... <laughs> well, he said it's his favorite. He didn't say the best. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The exactly. best is obviously Sammo Hung. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, but go on. But, I mean, like, makes the first Kung Fu movie with the Chinese boxer and not just like stars in these movies, but directs them and sometimes writes them and yeah. produces them and like, damn. What's neat though is like you kind of, you have Bruce Lee, you have Jackie Chan, you have Sammo Hung, but they're kind of pigeonholed in what they do. Jimmy's career is so scattershot. You yeah. have a, a Shaw brothers, Wuxia film, you know, and a Shaw brothers, Kung Fu film. But he's done like a fucking cool exploitation movie with the man from Hong Kong. The man from Hong Kong is one of the greatest fucking movies ever. Yeah. Made. I oh love my it. God. Gold tier. So I, uh, you know, as we always do, 
leading up to recording, we watched a whole bunch of movies, you know, together and sort of by ourselves. And I finally watched The Man from Hong Kong for the first time. And like, holy shit, when I was watching it, I was like demanding to Charles that, yes, okay, we're doing a Master of the Flying Guillotine episode today, but at some point in the future, God help me, we're doing a Man from Hong Kong episode. Sorry, Sam. This is this is it. This is the only way that we'll ever be able to talk about the Man from Hong Kong. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Tell me, Inspector, do you often take white girls to bed? Only on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> I, when I had my Man from Hong Kong bootleg, I watched it like twice a week to the point where my friend Joe showed up at the apart at my apartment and like he picked up the case. He's like, dude, you have a problem. You've been watching this movie. <laughs> yeah. But it is so fucking It's good. like when they have an intervention and they dump out your <laughs> your trash can and it's like filled with empty mouthwash <laughs> bottles. That's all you drink. But you know? But like to go back to like how crazy his career is made movies for Golden Harvest. He even made ripoffs of his own movies how many Which other one-armed movies he made a bond exploitation flick with shaw brothers that's really cool called asia pool you said bond as in james bond as in james bond yeah he whoa has, yeah. i've whoa. never seen that it's, it, he's very young it's like his little baby face and yeah he's trying to do the james bond thing that's pretty cool it's i mean really he kind of i feel like he does the james bond thing pretty often and this is an assumption on my part just from watching these movies for the last couple days that Jimmy Wang Yu wasn't someone who went to film school. He wasn't someone who was a classically trained martial artist, but he's someone who seems to have studied the craft. He's like an autodidact, someone who watched lots of movies because you can see influences from all over. You can see influences from like Italian Westerns. You can see the Japanese fucking Clearly Kurosawa. Kurosawa movies. Yeah. Clearly. Absolutely. And and then also he had an like an eye for like what was gonna attract Americans. Like he knew what was fucking cool everywhere. And definitely picked up a lot when he worked with Shang Che. Oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. But that's like another reason why he's my favorite, where he's like he's one of my all time favorite type of directors, where it's like this guy has raw talent ambition like has like great inspirations and just uses them to make lo-fi genre yeah. pulp Hell exploitation yeah. movies but it's like, that's clearly what he loves yeah i'm I'm, yeah. I'm here for him and and sometimes people like to complain about the fact that the music is stolen in a lot of these uh hong kong flicks and these fucking i don't know why and and i want to say something the music is not being fucking stolen. It is being reappropriated. Yes. Best advantage. Seriously, when you hear the Shaft score, Tangerine Dream, fucking Bella Bartok, and Ennio Morricone, Ennio Morricone in the same fucking movie, it's like what this is fucking incredible and, and you know which, which the worst part is Tarantino does the same thing and gets you know praise for it. Yeah, you know, right. Jimmy Wang Yu is like, no, this is great music. I'm going to use these cues. And he uses them perfectly. Yeah, oh, for it's, sure. It's so cool. It's one of my favorite things about these movies. I mean, even the score for Master of the Flying Guillotine, there's Noi, which is, you know, one of the many kraut rock bands, definitely one of the best. Who you said does, Noi? Yeah. N E U. It means new. Okay. I used um, to pronounce it new until Sam said Oh, I know that band. Okay, or, I, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New. <laughs> Craftwork is in there, like you were saying, Tangerine Dream, and it just, 
I think it works so well. And there are definitely movies we've watched together. Like I want to say a few Shaw Brothers movies where the appropriation of music that they clearly haven't paid for is a little distracting, especially when it's classical music. And we're all like, wait, 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 we know this piece. What is it? Yeah. And we start talking about like fucking Chopin and fucking, you know, I love it when it's Dawn of the Dead. When it's Dawn of the Dead oh, library yeah. music. Well, because all the Dawn of the Dead music so was good. like public domain music. Besides Goblin stuff. Oh, yeah. Goblin, of course. Here's another thing to go back to what Sam was saying. Master of Flying Guillotine is the first movie to have Tangerine Dream on the soundtrack. That is so fucking two, cool. Two or uh, one year before Sorcerer. Which he is was ahead so of William sick. Friedkin. Yeah. Well, and so this, I think, is what blows my mind is I know a lot of people feel this way as well, but I think my tendency when thinking about these sorts of male like auteur figures like he apparently was horrible to work with was a total asshole egotistical blah 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 but that would sort of give me the assumption that he's just making these movies to celebrate himself but as we've been saying he isn't doing that at all and like charles pointed out it's like he's not a formally trained martial artist he didn't go to film school but if you watch Chinese Boxer, like the first movie he directed, he has all these just crazy inventive shots. The camera moves in ways that like even Chang Che wasn't doing yet. And it's yeah. just like, well, it and blows I, me away. And I think that's a testament to the people that don't go to fucking film school that just love films that love watching movies they have an eye for that kind of shit and they don't know what's wrong and yeah nobody and tells them you can't move the camera so that like, way yeah and yeah that's how what happened with orson welles and, and citizen kane yeah no one told anyone that you can focus on two different things at once in a movie so orson welles just uh, <laughs> it was like i'm putting fucking ceilings in this scene. yeah wait till you see the fucking <laughs> chandelier here i'm gonna focus and on to two go things. back at how good of a director he is yes he was crazy and egotistical etc cetera, etc cetera. But he did whatever made a better movie and often put his own character in the sidelines to let other people have their moments. Yeah, that that level of egotism that is often attributed to him, and I imagine rightly so, does not show up in the films. It doesn't hamper the films. And just the other day, so... I had seen The Man from Hong Kong years ago and loved it, but I never really got into Jimmy Wang Yu at all. But I was a big fan of Zatoichi. And one of the greatest Zatoichi films is one of it's like one of the later ones. And it's Zatoichi meets the one armed swordsman. That's like twenty one, twenty two. It's, it's like Yeah. yeah. It, there's like three more Zatoichi flicks after that and then it's it's over. It's funny, out of twenty out of the twenty five Zatoichi movies are the greatest Zatoichi. <laughs> but the thing is is it's it's surprising that he's in one of the greatest Zatoichi movies and he plays a character who is obviously Chinese Zatoichi's Japanese and they can't understand each other and he's often not like the butt of jokes but he's someone who is he's not fucking big man he's not you know big no, dick he walking needs around Zatoichi's help yeah, he needs Zatoichi's help. And he needs the help of a little kid. Yeah, and and it's it shows that he's someone who's who's willing to put his ego aside in service of the story or in service of the scene. And that's just it's so cool. It's so cool. And in the Master of the Flying Guillotine, 
the way that there's there's just it's stacked with the craziest fucking characters. You and know? he's not even in like sixty percent of the movie. No. There's a whole tournament thing that he's not well, he's just watching. Yeah, he's sitting down watching it when someone's like, Hey, you gonna fight? He's like, No, I'm gonna leave and he leaves. Yeah, okay. So I'm convinced I don't know if this is true or not. I'm convinced that Street Fighter wouldn't exist without Master of the Flying Guillotine because that's basically what the game is. That has been a like uh a fan rumor for years. I mean, there's the same like flying guillotine decapitation thing and in the, guy the game. And the long arms. Yeah. yeah. That's who I used to play as. Dalsim. Yeah, they used to have it at the local shop right, and I would play it, and I'd be like, okay, I can just hide in the corner and just punch this guy to death. And From so far away, yeah. or kick him with his extending legs. Oh god, <laughs> what a great game! Street Fighter Two Turbo. That's what they had at shop. I've, that I've got it over there. <laughs> we could be playing oh, it right now. Yeah, what Yo, going to Simpsons or going to Simpsons? Going to shop right and playing the Simpsons game. Mm, that was the the highlight of my my dark childhood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yo, sorry, completely off topic. I can cut this out if it's no good. Do you remember? The like little video rental section at the, at at the, the shop, right? Yeah, that's where I first saw Troma's War. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, what? yeah they had some... shit there. My parents never let me. They, yeah, my uh, holy um, shit, Troma's War at yeah, Shoprite. Their, their horror section was small, but had some weird shit, and that was one of them. That's I was like, crazy. Yeah. I, so I didn't see that until Joe Bob played it like a year or two ago, and I don't like Troma movies, but I was blown away. I it it I can't comment because i have not seen it since i rented them when i was like nine or ten but trauma outside of like the big like toxic avenger in the first class of newcomb high thumbs up like but then like i think they became kind of like self-aware about what they're doing and kind of recycle the same jokes it, it feels kind of tired to me yeah I, I mean i respect lloyd kaufman though oh yeah you know they, they were definitely kind of self-aware from the jump but it well, was yeah, but they were like it was like they were breaking new ground with those two and it felt more like oh shit what did we just discover we're making like these splatter comedies yeah trauma's war it feels like an exploitation grindhouse market version of rambo yeah meets an italian ripoff movie i, I gotta see it it's I, wild it's, it's one of the ones that i i just never got around to it definitely has the vibe that we're talking about with Master of the Flying Guillotine, just like totally crazy shit happening, things exploding. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of relentless. This movie, which is one is. reason why it's so fucking cool, and it's one that you can put on with a crowd of people. They you're gonna have a fucking up. party. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're gonna be laughing and fucking cheering and going like nuts because it's. It's so nice and it's so refreshing to watch a fucking movie in a genre where you've seen fucking hundreds of movies and just like not know what's going to come next. Even when you've seen this the movie a couple times, it's just it's so endlessly inventive that it's hard not to just fucking be in it. I can't pick my favorite Jimmy Wang Yu movie that he's involved with, whether he's just acting or directing. But this is probably the one I've watched the most, definitely. Oh, yeah. It's so fucking... It's a fucking, like, zany comic book movie. But at the same time, it has that grindhouse grodiness. And it's just like, yeah. ugh, chef's kiss. I've got to see the notorious flying guillotine. You've killed senselessly here. Did your masters tell you to do this? Huh. Yes, they did. Now listen. The one-armed boxer killed my disciples. And I've come here to seek revenge for both of them. Hmm. You vicious bastard. 
You've killed innocent men at this tournament for no reason at all. Well, you'll regret it. I intend to make sure that you won't do it again. Wait! Yes, you get out of my way now, you old has-been. <laughs> Listen, I want that one-armed boxer. And nobody is gonna stop me. Although I agree, it is it would definitely be difficult for me to pick a favorite and one of my like challenges this week as we were watching movies is I just felt like this one's my favorite and this one's my favorite yeah. and then we watched some movies today which we'll talk about I'm sure more in a minute and I I just I think it's pretty rare when we're kind of powering through like 10 movies in a period of a couple of days. Usually I get this sense of fatigue and I'm like, okay, I like this movie, but it's not as great as the one we just watched. I didn't have that feeling at all this week. Yeah, every single fucking movie we watched was a banger and better than the one before it. Whether or not it actually was better than the one before it is irrelevant because when you're watching it, it's just so fucking good that you're like, yeah, this is it. I mean... I would probably say that my favorite, if my arm is twisted, is The Man from Hong Kong. Yeah. But the thing is, is I just watched The Chinese Boxer for the first time. And, oh my God, I wish, I wish I had seen The Chinese Boxer a fucking decade ago. It, it almost puts every single kung fu movie I've seen into context. Because all of the things that are like staples of the genre happen in this movie in such a way that it's like it's almost like they're explaining to you like oh here's how they hide under the you know in, in the ground when they like ninjas like fly up through the air out of the ground suddenly in a fight scene they're like oh yeah this is how they do it and it just it felt like the first kung fu film i mean it, it basically is it's the movie where kung fu movies go from being wuja to being about street fighting like the point you made earlier about how he's more like or his fighting style is more like Sonny Chiba than any of the Chinese martial artists is not something I really thought about before but that's what it is it's like here's a guy who wasn't trained in the Beijing Opera School but he was trained like I think John said in the military and through lots and lots of street fighting and fighting for the triads yeah <laughs> yeah some triad history some like dark and dirty triad history yo you got any we any got any... a few well to, to backtrack a little bit which is another thing to go back about how uh, about chinese boxer one of the other reasons he quit shaw brothers not only the money which is reason enough but it was because he kept pioneering these things. He's in the first Wuxia film, which is One-Armed Swordsman, which they had to fight to make. Well, technically Come Drink With Me that's was true. first, and yeah. that's the first Wuxia. Yeah, that's true. that was what, the year before? That was 66, and One-Armed Swordsman is 67. Right, I got to right. see Come Drink With Me. And then, and then, But he's it's also beautiful. in the sequel, Golden Swallow, right? Yes, but which I think is also 67. That could His be. His career I, just like exploded in one year, basically. And then with Chinese boxer, when he's like, no, let's put the swords aside. I'm going to punch. Shaw Brothers resisted that. So it was sort of like that was a part of the reason why he like quit, too. He's like, I want somebody who's not going to hover over me and limit me. And I'm say gonna, no to everything. Right. I'm just going to I'm going to take risks. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to direct even uh, Man from Hong Kong, which was directed by Brian Trenchard Smith. Who's a director I love. Made a lot of great movies. Fucking Turkey Shoot, Dead and Drive-In. Um, 
Uh, Siege of Firebase Gloria. Oh, like, you love that fucking piece of shit movie. That's not a piece of shit. It's one of the <laughs> greatest non exploitation movies ever. It fucking ru- have you ever seen Sam? Have you? Ever I seen? haven't. Wings Hauser, Arlie Ermy, and a bunch of fucking dudes against nine hundred bazillion Viet Cong. It's a. It's, <laughs> I mean, I love anything with Wings Hauser. It's been on my list for a while. It's it's non exploitation Zulu, and it fucking kills directed by brian trenchard smith well brian trenchard smith's first movie was the man from hong kong and he's like this yes. young fucking hot shot and and the movie had four times the budget of anything wang you ever worked yes on. But, and the craziest ending i've ever seen in yeah. my life and fucking george lazenby as the as the villain oh, who fucking oh. rules he so good. it's his best movie and it, he has like it is. the best apartment anyone has ever had yeah. also wait answer a question for me sure. so i've seen brian trenchard smith in his more recent years okay so I don't really know what he looks like younger. Is he the guy that Jimmy Wang Yu fights through the whole apartment building? Yes. He's the one that he beats the shit out yeah. of in the elevator. Yes. And they had such a tense relationship making the movie that when Jimmy Wang Yu's hitting him, he's really, really hitting, hitting him. him. And Brian Trenchard Smith's screams of agony are real. Yeah, and you can tell. You yeah. can fucking yeah. tell. So, like, Wang it, Yu, it's... like, let him direct, but Wang Yu really wanted hand in directing the action scenes. So that's my assumption, or at least what I had heard, was that he kind of forced his way into some co-direction. And, you know, I mean, if you look at his movies, I would have kind of yeah. let him yeah. do it. And, like, he, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't want to speak for Brian Trenchard Smith, but I wouldn't be surprised if he picked up a thing or two because his movies have that wild energy. They do. My my assumption watching it, and I've, I have no idea if this is true or not, is that Wang Yu directed a lot of the, like, fighting, that, crazy yes, action. That's what he wanted to and do. And then... When you see the fucking cars like flipping over five hundred fucking times, oh my God, that's that's so pure good. Australia direction right yes, there. You yeah, know? the Australians know how to fucking shoot a car chase. Let's not forget a fucking baby Samuel. Yeah, Hung I was about to say, let's not forget one of the greatest fight choreographers ever is Who, in that movie. Who's the um, famous uh, Australian exploitation stuntman? I want to say I can't think of his name, but he's the one that Jimmy Wang you fights. He kicks him off the motorbike and they fight through the restaurant. Oh, that part is crazy. That is one of my favorite fight scenes ever. And you have like one of the world's greatest stuntmen versus one of the world's greatest like fucking kung fu movie fighter. And and they're fucking beating the shit out of each other. This just like goes to show that that Wang you. Just like he did it all. I mean, what he did the best was beat the fucking shit out of people. But he but did not it. even. I mean, those shot. I still can't get over how innovative some of those shots are compared to like, like we were talking about this earlier, and I was saying one of the things I really love in a lot of these kung fu movies are shots where people fight or start a fight in a tea house. And also the sort of rival schools fighting in their actual school space. And he makes it look so dynamic, like shooting from behind walls. And sometimes often in these movies, people will get like 
kicked or punched through the fucking wall and then the camera will be shooting from behind the hole in the wall. It's just. Yeah. No, it's it's so inventive. He does that Kurosawa thing that I love where it's a tracking shot of somebody yes. running, but there's like something in the foreground. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, like grass or, or weed. Yeah. yeah weed. Something like oh, that. I love sure. that. That's something that like I'll never get tired of that. And it's he like, also, oh, that's beautiful. And he packs the frame with just shit there's so much to look at and it's it's so sick in the master of the flying guillotine the real like middle meat of the film is this fighting competition where all of the villains are kind of introduced one by one kind of dispatching other people and wang yu's watching just like checking it out he got invited but he wasn't gonna yeah like from the background yeah 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 he's 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 checking it checking in and and honestly, so this scene goes on for quite a while. And I can imagine some people not being a fan of just how long this is. That's but, usually the the scene that gets the most complaints from people. But for me, like... It seems I, sick. I grew up fucking watching 900 episodes of fucking Dragon Ball Z, where, like, it was like, you know, if you've seen an episode, you, you, if you know, you know. And so that like long fucking fighting tournament shit, that's like my bread and butter, you know. I'm I, I can live in this fucking scene for a whole movie. But the villains that they set up, I really want to talk about some of these fucking guys. Like not just the one arm guy, but who's like the fucking Which fu- one arm guy? I'm kidding. No, no, I'm no. Kidding. no I'm, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. We'll talk about that. <laughs> there's the, there's the guy with the long arms I meant to say. And then isn't there like a guy who like has like magic feet or something or so his feet have been trained by uh fire walking basically like walking on coals so they're super hardened so if he kicks you you're just like brutalized with one kick yeah and and the one other dude who like has the like twang and theme music and he does that like little like dance before he comes out yeah when when the fighters get their own theme music which definitely happens the most in one arm boxer and master of the flying guillotine it's just you know that something awesome is about to happen yeah there's oh, a yeah. there's a villain straight out of shogun assassin yeah oh yeah. yeah that guy he's so cool yeah he has his own little subplot too that really doesn't go anywhere like he just gets killed but yeah still, but like, it, it peppers it peppers yeah. the scene you know Oh, I so wish many. the Japanese vampire had come back, though. Or maybe, like, right. the Japanese vampire had a brother who yeah. was there to yeah. get revenge <laughs> <laughs> also. <laughs> so this was something that you were saying earlier, Sam, that uh, a theme in a lot of Wang Yu films is a uh, a more than subtle uh, dislike or distaste for uh, Japanese people. Uh, or just I mean that's throughout kung fu movies Shaw Brothers did it Bruce Lee movies did it for sure but I feel like Wang Yu it comes up almost like in every one of his fucking movies and a lot of them for sure and I was hoping that we could quick talk about his magnum opus yes a a film that is arguably my favorite of his it's it's he considers it his his magnum opus it's the film that he tried to make for almost his entire career it was such a high concept and like he knew it was gonna have a big budget oh oh it took me a minute i was like what are we talking about are we talking about chinese boxer (laughs) (laughs) no we're talking about beach of the war gods holy shit yeah there if if you're just like having a bad day and you want to be distracted from it 
the last like 45 minutes of Beach of the War Gods, it's just constant fighting. I don't even know how this was shot or choreographed because there are dozens of people fighting each other. Yeah, it it's, looks like a fucking war. It's, it's like two armies it's, on a beach. Yeah, it's so fucking good. I am very spoiled. When I was a kid, I had a neighbor across the street from me. And he was the one that introduced me to the fact that in it was the, this was the mid '90s, and he introduced me that there was Godzilla movies still being made, which like blew my mind. And he gave me these bootlegs, and then me and my brother wrote to like we got the catalog to the bootleg company to get more of these new Godzilla movies, and we wait we ordered them, and we waited. I was like nine years old. Finally, the package came. And I came home, like, like, I'm like, you know, he opened it, and I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like, we're going to watch, you know, the new Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. This is going to be the fucking coolest thing. And I watched my brother's face just, like, kind of, like, go, like, ugh. And he's like, they gave us the wrong movie. And I was like, yeah, they gave us something called Beach of the War Gods. What? Whoa. Yeah, I think this was Ocean Shores. I could be wrong. I was very young. My brother was like a freshman in high school, so he was more like in control of what was going on. And like, so he went back to like to write them that they gave us the wrong movie and we're looking for the new Godzilla movies. That's how we got like the new Gamera. We got Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm like, yeah, I'm nine. I don't have friends, whatever. I'll watch this fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh it fucking ruled it was great and wow. and i was like yeah well and i'm thinking like in the in the terms of like a regular business or they'll be like you can keep that movie we'll send you the movie they ordered no they made us send the movie back what so, yeah so i forgot all about it and years later but i always kind of remembered it and i remember like years later when i started really getting the heavily like heavily into like kung fu movies and shit and like they kept like saying, like, Beach of the War Gods. And it, like, sounded kind of familiar. I didn't know what it was. And I remember, like, I watched it, and I got, like, five minutes into it. I'm like, oh, my fucking God. It was like a flashback. It's the one. It's like, the one. Whoa. I love that feeling. That's such a cool Whoa. feeling yeah. when there's a movie from your childhood. And, like, for me, it's often they were movies that were playing on TV, but I yeah, missed the too. first five minutes, so I didn't know what the fuck I was watching. Yes. You know? And then later on, someday, somehow, it it comes back into your orbit and you're like, Oh, it's this one. It's like, Oh my God, wait, cool I know feeling. this. It, it was, it was the movie that set me off on this whole, like I always liked uh, Kung Fu movies, but like orbit video, which we've praised our church. Like, they had a section called martial arts. It was small and it, they crammed like everything together. Like fucking like they didn't have, they the had hard boiled in there. Yes. No. Yes. Yes, they did. Yeah. I was trying to remember if that was a, that or the foreign section. But they had Return of the Street Fighter. They didn't have the Street Fighter. They had Return of the Street Fighter, oddly enough. But most of it, a lot of it was like late 80s, early 90s. Like they had the best of the best series in there. The fucking Eric Roberts like kickboxing thing. Oh, wow. Wow. I always thought that those were clip show movies. No. Best of the Best is a real series. No, that's Eric Roberts like no. fucking. I think he's he's in the first few. Maybe, maybe they go off with another actor. You learn something new him. every day. But uh they had random kung fu movies, and once in a while, when I'd like want to get into the genre, I'd rent one. It was never that good. There was just like the random. I'm sure now, if I watched them, I could find some I liked, but like it didn't get me that wild like Beach of the War Gods did. And it took like I think I was like more in like my early twenties where I was like, no, I'm going to start really looking into the yeah. genre. Beach of the War Gods is this uh, this movie about 
like a Japanese army that's sieging a town. It's basically like the Seven Samurai. It, it is, yeah. Except yeah. instead of a gang of bandits, it's Japanese invaders. And it is definitely a fucking wild flick. And one that, correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of hard to come by. Yeah, uh, well... Shout Factory did a Jimmy Wang Yu box set. Well, by box set, it's like a DVD with a slipcase, and it has like two DVDs that are both like have two movies each on them, and it's on there. And but it doesn't look good. A lot of Wang Yu movies they're lost, like the the original negatives. That's why Master Flying Guillotine doesn't have like a Blu-ray, and the DVD we watched, which is like the special edition DVD looks crappy yeah it looks pretty sad and it has those scenes that look a little fuzzy where it's like oh here's something that was cut in yeah 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 and then like there was one entire scene that was just fucking pink like it looked like they got that like that reel what happened to this reel they left that one outside (laughs) for a while that's normal for for hong kong or asian like yeah not so much japanese but like they're like we made this movie who Put cares? It out in theaters, yeah, made its money. <laughs> throw it in the trash. Yeah, see you later. So if you get a copy of one of Wang Yu's flicks, like hold on to it because you never know when that's out of print and done forever. Although Chinese Boxer, which I have to plug, eighty-eight films put that out on Blu-ray, and I got to do the commentary, which is wild, and I was super honored. But it looks great. Yeah, I you you lent me that. your your contributor's copy that I got to I got to crack it open and watch last night, and I was tempted to to watch it with your commentary. No, just so that way <laughs> when we recorded this episode, I can say all the stuff that you said and sound real smart. I don't know if I have really said anything that I said on the commentary. I think John has definitely said a <laughs> fair that's amount what, of it. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> did. Well, John did, I did it. it yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I channeled John. The one-armed boxer that we watched on Amazon Prime, right? That looked nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure, for sure. But I know Master Flying Guillotine, they can't find like a 35 for that. I th- want to say, no, no, I, I take that back. Because there are se- scenes where they're talking in their native tongue. Well, they're speaking in Mandarin. So I think they found... Uh, there are two from from what I know, and I could this could be wrong. There are two different cuts, and I think the American cut is like three minutes shorter than the Mandarin cut. So it's kind of like what they sometimes do with like Dario Argento movies, where there's like a foreign language scene with subtitles cut in yeah. because there's no dubbing available for it which yeah, they fucking, did that with deep red yeah I, and yeah. i appreciate that i love that you know if you find me an too. extra fucking minute of this goddamn movie, i want it give I it to it. me but you <laughs> can put it right but, into my fucking veins Crush but you it can up tell and, they didn't have the original negative they were like oh we have this print here oh yeah it. it's a frankenstein yeah kind of thing but which hey, is you, totally you do what fine. you gotta do it's like that version of lamb guy kai's her vengeance we watch where what a dirty fucking movie yeah we'll talk about that we'll talk about his movies one day in their own episode we're we're having a clean episode today though yeah there's (laughs) no actually surprisingly there's very little nudity or sexual violence in jimmy wang Yu movies which he saved it for real life uh, yeah. yeah so he can, got enough of we, it for real i want to get i want to get into that that's that's something that i i didn't realize this about him i mean i i guess I, I mean i didn't really fucking know much about the guy i just watched his movies and you know that was that but john you were telling me 
some fucking wild stories about his history in the fucking triads. Like, well, I got wind of this a while ago when I found out that Jackie Chan. This w- is my favorite of these stories. Yeah, where he was trapped in a uh, in a contract with a guy named Lo Wei. I think his name was. And he wanted to go on and do his own movie. What pretty much what we know Jackie Chan as is kind of this comedy kung fu shtick. But Lo Wei really wanted to make him the new Bruce Lee, and like the movies didn't really come out that well. And he's just like, no, let me do my own thing, or at least let me go on my contract so I can make you know what I want to do. And he, you know, Lo Wei kept resisting, and he got uh, Jackie Chan got Jimmy Wang Yu, who had triad connections. To kind of broker a deal, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he made him an offer he couldn't refuse. That let him off, and he could, and then that's what made him do, you know, what we know Jackie Chan as of today. What I'm curious about is, so Wang Yu had triad conne- connections, or Wang Yu was both. Yes, I mean, like, <laughs> I allegedly you know i I wasn't there i don't want to know like how deep he was but like he was pretty deep in a lot of triads to the point where like he was involved in a brawl at a banquet where people died and like he was charged but they didn't have enough evidence and then like four years later I, well actually that brawl happened in 1976 same year master flying guillotine came out and in 81, he's Did he a, use the flying guillotine? Oh, the that would fucking be <laughs> too good. The, but years later, in 81, he's at a restaurant, and that the rival triad apparently stabbed him a bunch of times. He almost died. You have to be pretty in deep to get stabbed a bunch of times in a public place, but I feel like I need to you know, defend him for a moment to say that as I'm sure a lot of people can imagine, this was definitely the case with hardcore films made in New York in the 70s. Oh, yeah. A lot of them were mob financed or organized crime financed. And it's the same thing with Hong Kong movies. So it's not like he was the only person involved oh, with triads. No, no. And, and we're not, I'm not fucking, we're not oh, knocking. No, 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 no. no, no, no. This is crime is cool. Yeah. Fuck yeah. No, but, no, but, but, I, fuck I know the you're law. not knocking. I just mean for anyone who's listening, it's not like Wang Yu was right. some sort of outlier. He was just really good at fighting. And let's not forget, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like <laughs> Sam brought up hard, like underground independent hardcore films. These were the big studios Mainstream, of You know, yeah. Shaw Brothers, Golden Harvest, they were all in deep with the triads. Yeah. To the point where, like, when things would go bad, producers would get would shot to die. death. Yeah, it was... Like, like, into, what, the early 2000s? Yeah, yeah. Not, I know the 90s, at least, but it could be... I could be today. Shit is wild. I'm, I'm sure today there's But still... also, can you imagine the sheer level of dirty money in hollywood so it's oh yeah they're not a bunch that of they're being not that they're being shot by triads yeah, right, right. but you know hang uh, on hang on i i want to make it clear that we are celebrating the work of the glorious members of of the triads the the a7 group or the, what, what, what are they called the 14k the 14k and the, the, what and were the sunny boys they were the ones no, the big the big bamboo boys or the sun Yilong, I they think. were they were or his sun rival Yilong. group the united bamboo those are the taiwanese yeah that was he was tight with them too which i read a thing where like the big guy i don't know if he was the leader but one of like the big lieutenants was like involved in a san los angeles or san francisco like hit job 
that was like an international scandal. Like a lot of these are like I just like browse through some of these stories. I'm like, fuck. Like I yeah. And I imagined it like being like a better tomorrow where it's like all in Hong Kong. I did not think no, like it's it, they're global. Wow. Yeah, and and what's what's crazy is like you know right after doing this fucking crazy big hit in San Francisco, they go back to fucking Hong Kong and produce. Deadly Silver Spear, <laughs> which, you know, and fucking... Which is another one I watched for the first time this week, and it is so much fun. I, that's the one that I feel, out of all of Wang Yu's movies, is the closest spiritually. I haven't seen all of Wang Yu's movies. I've seen a good chunk, but that one feels closest spiritually to Master Flying Guillotine. It's got Yes, with the crazy people. weapons. Yeah, and... the main guy, instead of having a flying guillotine, he has like a flying top. Like he like he pulls the string and the top flies and cuts but some dude's head off. It's almost the same thing, but the whole plot is this like crazy old dude who's his name, at least in the dubbed version, is like the old hermit or the old beggar or something like that. But he's really this like warlord type of dude who kidnaps this like benevolent old weapons maker and forces tortures him and forces him to make i forget what they call it it's not the flying guillotine it's like the yeah. circle of death or something or the ring of death yes. that's what they call it okay i <laughs> i have a fun question for you guys sure what is your or not your favorite but like what's one of your most favorite weapons in these movies cuz i feel like that's one thing that kind of like like with westerns the things that make Western stand out are like the crazy ways they shoot each other or like through oh, some yeah, the or like weapons hidden gimmicks. Guns. Hidden, yeah. yeah. And and in these films, it's always like a fucking knife and a knife and a knife and a knife. It's like a jack in the box <laughs> or that Russian doll just right. with cascading knives in it. But what is your favorite of the moment? Uh, weapon. I mean, how can you ask us this question when we're talking about the flying guillotine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's too easy. But also, but th- something, is the something that we brought up a little bit earlier about how the flying guillotine was actually a real, you know, 17th, 18th century weapon. The thing that blew my mind, which I found out as a teenager, was that so many of the wild weapons in these movies, especially like the Shaw Brothers movies, were real, and yeah. you can still learn how to fight with them. So help me out here. The reason why I asked this question is I just remembered a fucking weapon. Sure. Uh, I can't remember what movie it's from, so let me let me get this little bit out here. Uh, and I I can't imagine this is a real fucking weapon. I just I can't. Like maybe it is. Who it knows? better be. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> it might have to go back to like the Da Vinci drawings, you know, of just some crazy. I don't know, but it's this like fucking pole, this like long staff. And at the end of it, there's like this little curly, whirly, dirly thing. And, and the, the like guy, a scythe, kind of, yeah. no, 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 no. It's not like a scythe. It's like kind of like a wiggly noodle. And the fucking guy shoves the fucking pole in people's mouths and the wiggly diggly noodle thing rips out their teeth. And throughout the whole fucking movie, this guy just keeps ripping people's fucking teeth out <laughs> with his wiggle noodle pole. I, I remember the pole D2 thing in the end of eight diagram pole. Yeah. Fighter. Oh, is that yeah. what it is? I think that's what it's from. Yeah, okay, but, okay. but they're just using the pole. They don't have like a thing at the I, end. Okay. I am specifically remembering this fucking flick where like the end of the pole 
like kind of wiggled or like it was first it was stiff and then when they put it in someone's mouth it would curl up and do a thing and it might yeah. be rip yeah i mean the spear and deadly silver spear is kind of similar to that where when he's first carrying it around and you look at it it's like a full length spear with like an arrowhead on the end but you soon find out that it can come apart and sort of like a Russian nesting doll, it can shrink down to be the size of like a baton and he can throw it almost like a boomerang or like the flying guillotine and it will attack people far away and then come back to him. You love to Shit is it. wild. It's so fucking cool. Although I do have to also chime in and I feel like this is sort of a tangent, but my favorite weapon to see in any martial arts movie i love sai and you don't see them in chinese movies usually unless there's a jap because it's it's used in ninjutsu sorry um what the fuck is that so it's if you want to look it up it's spelled s-a-i and there are two of them they're offensive weapons that are basically used to kill or disembowel people it's a single yeah it's it's like a fork with a long prong and two short curved prongs. Uh, it's Raphael's weapon from Teenage Mutant yes, Ninja thank Turtles. You. There you go. You should have just said that. Yeah. And the, the curves on them are basically used so that if you're fighting somebody who has a katana or a sword, you can twist it and wrench the sword right out of their hand and throw it and then kill them. I love ninja movies where somebody uses the side. They're always evil. It's also Electra's weapon if you like comic books. I'm a big fan of the film. It goes <laughs> It goes that that kind of goes back to one of my favorite weapons from One Arm Swordsman where they have the sword and then it opens up and like clutches the other yeah. guy's sword yeah. so then it's useless and you grab another sword and stab him. Oh, that's so fucking cool. And I love how sometimes when they do shit like that, the guy getting stabbed is like so offended. Like, <laughs> you, you used a second sword. You can't oh. do that. <laughs> also, I totally forgot. Probably my favorite weapon. All right. Now now that you've got oh, me. I, I, okay, I, I good, good. I'm taking mine. I got it. Okay, go. So recently we watched the Shaw Brothers movie on Thanksgiving called Web of Death. And... It's not really a conventional weapon, but it's this fucking spider that's like maybe the size of my torso and it emits some kind of poison yeah, and it's basically gas. it's used as like not quite a weapon of mass destruction, but like a weapon of localized destruction yeah. where it can take out an entire clan pretty much. Yeah. Oh God, Web of it's Death's a good wild. One. Crippled Avengers. Yes, Johnny. What is it? <laughs> There's a guy who uh, no longer has his hands, so now he has metal hands. But for some reason, even though this movie takes place in probably like 1802, he can launch his hands from his nubs <laughs> to like punch people to death from far away. I like, so that Crippled Avengers was my first favorite kung fu movie. I'm still obsessed with it, and I, you know, hope that we can so talk good. about it at some point at length. Because we're gonna also, do a Shaw Brothers episode; it's mandatory for sure. But I was reading this thing today, actually, about Master of the Flying Guillotine that was sort of talking about uh, 
kung fu movie tropes in a bigger sense and it was talking about how master of the flying guillotine has what's called the disability superpower trope oh you love it which it's just like as a, as a fan of zadoichi oh yeah somebody who's blind like the master and master of the flying guillotine or somebody who has one arm like jimmy wang Yu in almost every fucking movie <laughs> it's like being at this disadvantage makes you train harder so that you're pretty much invincible. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah, I mean, and the fucking kaleidoscopic funhouse mirror world of Jimmy Wang Yu movies that all have a title like the one-armed Chinese boxer with the sword in his oh. back and like the fucking... <laughs> The one-armed Chinese boxer with the sword in his back meets the two arms. The other guy with, <laughs> with, the, with fucking, three arms. It's just wait. Okay, can I can I can I do my title rundown? Oh, oh yeah, let's yes, hear it. Yes. Let's hear it. Okay. I've been waiting for this. So I spent the better part of the day trying to find all of these movies because it can be very confusing if you're starting out and if you've never seen any Jimmy Wang Yu movies, definitely start with Master of the Flying Guillotine. Chinese boxer, things we've talked about like Beach of the War Gods that are unrelated. But I made a list to give you an example of how many of these movies there are where he has one arm and or is a boxer. So there's One Arm Swordsman, which is the very first one, 1967, directed by Chang Che. Return of the One Arm Swordsman, which is also Chang Che, 69. It's fucking awesome. Then there's Wang Yu's Chinese Boxer from 70. Chang Che made another One-Armed Swordsman movie after Wang Yu left Shaw Brothers called The New One-Armed Swordsman that John says is awesome. Yes, I just finally watched it, and it's I'll, I'll, I'll go into detail a little bit. Go ahead. So that's 71. Also from 71 is Zatuichi and the One-Arm meets the One-Armed Swordsman. Thank you, Charles, uh, which is incredible. Then there's One Arm Boxer from 72. And as we were saying, its direct sequel is Master of the Flying Guillotine from 76. Also known as the One Arm Bops Boxer meets yeah. the, versus the versus Flying, the flying guillotine. guillotine. Also known as One Arm Boxer 2. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, then it gets even crazier. Then there's One Arm Swordsman Against Nine Killers. Also from 76, not directed by Wang Yu, but produced, written by, and starring him. Then there's One-Arm Chivalry Fights Against One-Arm Chivalry. Also Wang Yu, also 76. And then there's this fucking incredible movie we watched today that might be my new favorite called One-Arm Swords Men, which is co-directed by Wang Yu and David Chang, also from 76. Like, what was he doing in 1976? Cocaine. Did he sleep? <laughs> yes. Cocaine he was doing. But it's a movie that I think is aware of just how many of these fucking one-arm warrior movies these and there are like five one-arm fighters in this movie. And what's crazy is that in fucking <laughs> Master of the Flying Guillotine, the master fucking takes out half the one-arm people in fucking China. Yeah. And then somehow or another They're all back. They're all back, baby. But also, and I'm almost done, there <laughs> there are other flying guillotine movies so hang on hang on let's finish up the fucking one arm guys there are only we three. fall down another rabbit hole there are only three it's not a rabbit hole there's the first one flying guillotine from 75 which john mentioned it's great is a shaw brothers movie about all this like palace intrigue 
Then there's a Taiwanese movie called Fatal Flying Guillotine from 77. And Shaw Brothers then made Flying Guillotine 2 Palace Carnage from 78, which is a sequel to their first movie and tries to pretend that the Wang Yu movies didn't exist. There's a third you have, one. Hang on. You have one more uh, Wang Yu flick to get to on the list. Oh, Return of the Chinese Boxer from 77. Sorry. Thank you. That's why I was trying to stop you from going down another rabbit hole. I was like, <laughs> There are baby, just so many. Gotta... <laughs> and I, I quickly want to recap what, what Sam just said. I'm going to go lightning fast. We got the one-armed swordsman, Return of the one-armed swordsman, the Chinese boxer, the one-armed swordsman, Zadoichi <laughs> meets the one-armed swordsman, one-armed boxer, Master the Flying Guillotine, one-armed swordsman against nine killers, one-armed chivalry fights against one-armed chivalry, one-armed swordsman, and Return of the Chinese Boxer. And these were all made Exhausting. in- Half of them were made in 1976. <laughs> <laughs> but there's one more of the um, Shaw Brothers uh, oh my God. movies called Vengeful Beauty. Oh, which yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, which is like 78? Yeah, it's like a rough sequel. But they use a lot of the footage from the first one for the guillotine carnage. Oh, gosh. But the movie itself, besides that, even though it recycles shit, is pretty tight. Yeah. All of these have like sort of different pl- they basically all exist in the same extended universe they I do think you could they say. do <laughs> and i feel like that's the case with a lot of shaw brothers films like you got your fucking venoms and you got like oh yeah all those movies are so wonderful cool. and i feel like they were in that fucking extended universe game pretty quick they were they were early adopters of having a fucking giants like world that like I mean, what's the point of doing world building in one film if you're just going to fucking walk away from it, you know? Well, and that's what I think, and I definitely want John to talk about some of these in a second, but I think that's maybe why I fell in love with these at first is because even though the plots aren't always the same, like certainly they have tropes in common, but there is that extended universe feeling where it's like once you're at home with a particular Shaw Brothers movie and certainly a little bit later Golden Harvest and Jimmy Wang Yu it just it feels like you know this world and you love it and then you can understand all of the other things happening in that world absolutely it, I I remember bringing this up when in our uh, Frankenstein Created Woman episode oh yeah where like Hammer films take place in this fairy tale universe Shaw Brothers same thing it's just like to me they definitely have really close parallels because it's like they worked with these small teams of of craftsmen and actors and they were also often shot on the same studios so they're just so many weird and of course they work together right. on uh, legend, legend of, of the seven, seven brothers five. meet dracula uh yeah. Or wait, Legend and of the Seven Deadly Vampires, also known. Yes, Golden yes. Vampires, also known as Seven Brothers Meet Dracula. All these titles. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. And I just love the fact that, you know, we like you were saying earlier, Sam, that we just got done watching all these movies, and now that we're nearing the end of the episode, and you know, next week we got something. Else in mind. Something else coming up. I, I'm not. I'm not done. I want to watch a fucking thousand more of these movies, and it's just. It's such a great feeling. Like once you get get bit by it, you know. And I think that's just. I mean, that's what I love about doing this show is that we, like it's such a great way to like watch movies and to think about them and to and to really like get the context for them by like 
digging deep and fucking going into these rabbit holes and like not being daunted by this giant, you know, filmography that all came out in four fucking years and just fucking taking the bull by the horns and sitting down and watching some fucking movies with your friends. Well, Charles, would you like some recommendations of good Wang Yu movies? Yeah, baby. I just got but it. Wait, down 500. But wait, first tell us about new One-Armed Swordsman without oh, Wang Yu. Yes. Yeah, so, as we brought up before, Wang, or Wang Yu left Shaw Brothers. He was to, driven away. And he went to Taiwan. But Shang-Chi was like, hey... Uh, I'm mad, and I'm going to make another one-armed swordsman. I'm going to make another guy a big star. To show this little snot that right. I'm still the better director. Well, he does a great job. You can tell he had to have been very mad about it because he's firing on all cylinders with this movie. It is, it's 1971, but it feels like the movies he would make with the Venom's mob, like in the late seventies, early eighties. It's amazing what spite would make. You oh my do. god! What <laughs> you can accomplish when you're it, fucking mad. And it's gorgeous. It's exciting. It's like exactly what you expect from him, but like, just goes up to eleven. And the only weak point is David Chang replacing Jimmy Wang Yu, and it's he's fine. He's not bad, but he tries to do that kind of like arrogant Mr. Big Dick swagger oh, no. and, and he Jimmy not, Wang Yu does it. it like he, he don't owns got it, it. Yeah. yeah yeah like he's acting Wang Yu's like this is just how I walk it's like Sonny Chiba yeah yeah and that, I think that walk it, but it also has one of the probably the most gorgeous exterior set I've ever seen in a Shaw Brothers movie yeah. I've seen better all of them. than the giant spider courtroom thing in Web of Death <laughs> well that's an interior so but, okay fair but this one's like a legit like breathtaking uh, highly recommended fuck yeah but fuck yeah but other great wang Yu flicks uh the brave and the evil which also like shares uh, a trope that i really like that wang Yu movies have where like he's not just tough and beating people up all the time he always not always but in a lot of his movies has a scene where he's like Oh, these villains have these abilities or this is their fighting style. So I've seen that. Now I'm going to contemplate on it and kind of set up like a trap that gives me the upper hand. He's such and I, I didn't think about this until today. So I'm so glad you brought this up. He in almost all of these movies is like a consummate planner. Yes. Like he takes his time planning and training and studying manuals and charts and things yeah, yeah. it's That's... not like this innate talent he like he has to really work yeah, for right. it I, I, it's I, so I, cool I, to I, be I, able to watch like a cool action hero where he has scenes where he's thinking yeah that's what really i loved about the chinese boxer the, all the scenes in the in the school in the academy like usually in a lot of these like shaw brothers flicks there are like five second scenes where the guy's like, "Oh yeah, kick a little higher. Yeah, you're you're good." But it's just, just like just work on your breathing. Yeah, just breathe a little bit. <laughs> but in in the Chinese boxer, it it's like you're sitting in class with them, and they're all sitting on the floor, and the guy's explaining a concept, and it's taking its time with it, and it later comes back in the film. And and when Wang Yu is like fucking loses his or like gets the shit kicked out of him, and he and he comes back. And it has to train for like a big scene. And it's just it's so nice to go on this journey, like you were saying, John, where like this big, tough, 
badass, cool guy is hitting the books. Yeah. And he's fucking learning. And it's just, it's so cool. You, you love to see it. I mean, also, I think another big trope that's sort of connected to that that's in a lot of his movies is he trains and he does all this work and he gets revenge against these genuinely awful people, but then he doesn't want to fight anymore. Like, that happens in a lot of the One-Armed Swordsman movies. Like, Return of the One-Armed Swordsman is basically all about that. Yeah, that's a great trope in Zadowichi films where he's like, I'm yeah. not fucking, I'm done with my sword. I'm done with my sword. And then some guy is just like, you need to kill me Some right guy now. pushes it. Yeah, yeah, I need to be killed. Even the first one-armed swordsman kind of makes like the martial arts world look ugly. And, and like, awful. Yeah, and, pointlessly violent. And yeah. everyone is untrustworthy yeah. and like out for this sort of false sense of glory where they all want to be the ultimate hero of the martial world. Yeah. I think... And he's like, I just want to have a fucking farm. Everyone chill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, another good one, Furious Slaughter, Blood of the Dragon. I'm not sure if I said that already. But another cool Wang Yu flick, way later, early 90s, called The Beheaded 1000. That title is amazing. It I've is never great. seen it. It's sort of like his post-Chinese ghost story movie, where he is this like talented executioner... And he's about to get to his thousandth beheading Whoa. and retire. But the ghosts of this like evil clan that he's beheaded are now fucking around. They're possessing people Whoa. and shit. I think I would love that. It's that a, sounds yeah. like a movie that I would movie. love. I highly recommend it. It's hard to find, but if you can get it, like... That sounds Thumbs up. sick. All right. Well, today I feel like we've given a lot of recommendations. You're we've welcome, done a folks. history. Also, watch One Armed Swords Men. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and keep an eye when you watch all of these movies on the birds. Yeah. There's... You're welcome, John Woo. <laughs> in, in fairness, uh, I've done so many of these. I've never watched a Wang Yu movie that like I hated. There's ones that are definitely like more mediocre and run of the mill, but even like his just standard flicks still yeah. kind of stand when, out. When and you are fun. got when you got Wang Yu in the fucking credits, especially as a director, you got a banger on your hands. Yeah. And totally. Just and let him rub his Wang Yu on your face. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> and enjoy. Do you guys have any uh any shout outs or any plugs you wanna you wanna do? I mean Earlier, I think I mentioned uh, 88 Films, Blu-ray release of Chinese Boxer. Definitely pick that up uh, if you fall in love with his films. Also, shout out to Cinepunks, who are our network. And they definitely... So there are a lot of other podcasts on the network, and they've also done some martial arts films episodes. So there's plenty more to check out until we get around... or. And by get around to, I mean, until I browbeat Charles into letting me do a Shaw Brothers episode. <laughs> we'll do yeah. one in, in 2020. Oh, my God. Shut up. What year is it? <laughs> I can't tell. How about you, Johnny? You got any shouts? Oh, uh, no. What's that podcast that you were just listening to? You were just telling me about. The Kung Fu one. Oh, podcast on fire. Yeah, they're tight. That's a good one. 
I mean, I was just checking it out. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's. I guess their beat is fucking kung fu flicks. You know, we're just we're just dabbling for a day. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Again. Although that was my original idea for our podcast: is what if we just do Hong Kong movies? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I like what we do. Yeah, right? me I, too. My, my ADHD would not allow me to just stick on one subject. I have to jump around. Yeah, and I got I got a little shout my my weekly burden my weekly job if you like this show and you know you listen to the whole fucking episode that you get so far that we're doing plugs throw fucking sam deegan six bucks on the patreon yeah you get our episodes a week early and she's doing essays constantly fucking video uh what are these video things you're doing what are you working on now what what are you planning on doing what do you want to do next I'm well, thinking about it. This is in it. the future. You can't. I know. You can't I know. Do it that. doesn't matter. Uh, You're breaking the fabric of time here. You are breaking the fabric of time. Um, so I'm actually I've started to do a little of this, but some essays on Shaw Brothers movies, and I'm sure I will be doing more of those because obviously I'm obsessed. Uh, but I mean, I try to cover like like our show. I try to cover lots of different genres and countries and time periods. But also, even if you not not to contradict Charles, but even if you don't want to sign up for my Patreon, please at least rate our show. Maybe give us a review. Yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. please. Rate, yeah. review, and subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's See, it. That's it. what I wow. wanted to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got four or five star reviews. I check every day. Oh my god. Yeah, it yeah. should be more than double. <laughs> this is the sound of one hand clapping. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the one armed clapper. And you know what? Yeah, I, you're right, Sam. I take back what I said. F- fucking take your money out of your wallet right now and set it on fire. Fuck it. The shit's Money worthless. isn't real. It's not real. It's green paper. It's bullshit. It's green paper. Get rid of it. We don't fucking need it. You do get it a week early, though. Yeah. You do. Like, so, so you're cooler than most of the kids in school. Yeah. You know, that's pretty cool. Spoil it for everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can see our movie recommendations <laughs> and act like you found them. And then, you know, when you're trying to All impress right. that girl at math class, be like, yo, you ever see beheaded? See you later, awesome. everybody. Also, wait. One final shout out. We've noticed recently, mostly through Instagram and sort of also through Twitter, that some of you are hearing about movies because of our episodes and going out and picking up the Blu-rays. And that just really, you know, warms my heart. I think it's wonderful. Keep physical media alive. Yes. Okay, bye. We love you. Bye. Night.